I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop, and we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files, and this is part two of our look at the murder of Dr. Victor Chang. Last week, we dealt with the murder itself, as well as who Victor Chang was as a person. And we closed on the extremely odd fact that one of the murderers left his wallet at the scene, which led to the conviction. Now, Dad, this is one of those weird cases where it's not so much a who done it, because we know who did it, and they knew who did it pretty much straight away. It seems like the whole affair was an absolute cock-up from start to finish, which makes it even more tragic and pointless. Could you talk us through, I mean, what kind of a case do you need to build when it's cut and dry like this, when the wallet is left at the scene? Well, ostensibly one has the impression of it being, you know, as you say, cut and dried. Yeah. But the wallet, which you'd think was a gift, it had a lot of documents inside it. It had an air ticket. A, um, a Qantas ticket mm. and it had a lot of names and phone numbers and it had a Malaysian identification card that was 20 years old so whilst one thinks you know you see the wallet a wallet at the scene of a heinous crime firstly you must consider that it may not be part of the crime. It could very well just be a wallet dropped by a passerby. Right. I mean, how often do we see wallets? Quite quite often, I, I propose. Now, the wallet, yes, was very important, but I've been watching lots of newsreel footage of the day, and it's quite thrilling for me to be able to recognise a lot of the police, a lot of the uniform police, a lot of the highway patrol that were on motorbikes that obviously responded very quickly because the police 
particularly highway patrol, work the transit lanes in the morning mm-hmm. when this offence occurred. Yeah. Um, but I got a bit of a thrill this morning. I must, I must let you and the listeners know because I was watching an interview with one of the lead detectives and he was talking about... And he used a term close to my heart, which one doesn't often hear today. Because when you think of crime scene, Paul, would I be correct in saying that we think of forensics? That's the term used. Yeah. But yeah. do you remember what it used to be called when I was in the job? Oh, shit. Um, scientific services correct. or something? Correct. Scientific. Okay. Just that word. And I heard that word used on this interview. One of the lead detectives said... Of course, we gave everything to scientific. They had absolute priority in terms mm-hmm. of the crime scene. It's their job. And I recognised two of my colleagues from Chatswood Scientific. Are you serious? I saw them. I'd never seen them before. And one of them had really long hair. He was a bit of a beatnik. Yeah. He was just a cool, cool dude. And nothing ever phased him. And he was one of the guys that, that trained me. So that was pretty exciting. And he, he, there he was. I did not know that he was the lead scientific guy that fateful morning. So they're, they're confronted with, with this evidence. But, Paul, I've done a lot more research on this particular case. Okay. And, and what I didn't know is that the offenders had flown in from Malaysia, but not to Sydney. They flew into Melbourne. And it's from Melbourne that they hatched the plan. As we said last week, they had read an article in a magazine about Asians making good. And the reading of the article sort of created this situation where they were then prepared to drive, and it's no short drive Mm. from Melbourne to Sydney, Mm-hmm. And there were three of them involved. And they hatched this plan. But as it becomes more sort of relevant, the fact is that one of the offenders had a lengthy criminal record in Malaysia. And these guys, they were in debt, gambling debts, to the triad Oof. in Malaysia. And they were desperate because the triad, you don't pay them, they fucking kill you. And they, for shits and giggles, may decide to kill family members. It's pretty scary. So they thought, we we just, we need to get, there was a degree of desperation. There, desperation, right? absolute desperation. Yeah, okay. okay. So they, they hatched this implausible plan as Detective mm. Sergeant Dennis O'Toole who was one of the detectives in charge. Now, one of the things that I've gleaned from my additional research that might not be so obvious to listeners that have not been involved in a police force or police service, a police organisation, and they're pretty well... There are things in police forces across the world that are a given. Now, one of the things is that this happened in North Sydney. Now, you've got the detectives... At North Sydney, you've got Dennis O'Toole, who was the lead investigator with the Granny Murders, a very, very highly, highly experienced police officer. 
But the thing is, they had simultaneously set up an Asian crime squad in Sydney. And they'd also set one up in Melbourne. Because back in the 80s and 90s, Asian crime gangs were were operating in certain areas of Sydney. And they were using extortion, murder, prostitution, slavery, all sorts of things. And being able to travel in and out of this country with relative impunity. Because a lot of the services, a lot of the international police agencies, particularly in Asia, were not so connected in a, in a database sense. Sure. So I can understand, and I've picked it up in my latest research, there's a definite undertone of sort of territorial, you know how you mark your patch and you've got your local detectives, mm-hmm. but obviously it's in their area. Can you imagine being the local D's and all of a sudden some guys from a squad just rock up and go, look, fellas, thanks, but we're taking over. It's a real, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? It yeah. is, but it's, 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 it's tangible. It's real. Yeah, it's real. And I picked up, because I watched quite a few interviews, which I found very interesting, interviewing the senior detectives of the day from the squads, from the local area command, from Chatswood office, from North Sydney. And it's very, very interesting. So in essence, and this is something, again, that I think the listeners will be quite, quite sort of fascinated to know, is that in that wallet, there was a lot of information. However, what happened was back then that Dennis O'Toole and one of the detectives from the squad, the Asian crime squad, yep. they, they flew to Malaysia and they spent seven weeks in Kuala Lumpur. And the, the, and the, I've actually watched an interview of the commissioner of police, police for, for um, Malaysia. And interestingly, he had read about Dr. Vic Chang being murdered, but it was becoming apparent that it was in fact... Malaysian nationals that were the suspects and the country were ashamed they were ashamed that their people had killed an eminent surgeon and I think that's very interesting Paul because they really they they, they, there was a sense of national uh, national sadness and, and shame and because of that, they went all out. And when you listen to Detective Sergeant Dennis O'Toole extolling the virtues of the Royal Malaysian Police, it's that you can see that there was great empathy and professionalism. And basically, according to Dennis O'Toole, they had the whole of the Malaysian police force at their disposal. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. If it had, a, it's amazing. And they spent seven weeks there. They came back. They didn't get their man, but they had people under surveillance. And the surveillance took place primarily in Melbourne because the offenders went back to Melbourne. And there's some amazing footage of them, of two of the two guys, Lou and Lim, sitting on a bus stop in Melbourne. And they're they're under surveillance. I've seen the surveillance photos. It's very, very interesting. But they couldn't just nab 
the offender. They they knew who one offender was. They, there was this other guy that was sitting next to him at this bus stop, but they didn't know who he was at this stage. And they couldn't just nab him because he would have said, and get ready for this, Paul, it's so brilliant What? because the police have to figure out what the suspect may say. Mm-hmm. Now, he lives in Melbourne. He's in Melbourne. They say, we've found your wallet in Sydney. And he goes, you're joking. It, I lost it in Melbourne, and that's it. So the police go, oh, okay, well, so they need a lot more sort of, they need a better case, okay? Yep. But, this and this is quite fascinating, in the wallet, because he said that he'd lost his wallet when they eventually arrested him, that he'd lost it many, many months before, but in the wallet was a lottery ticket dated... After right. he'd lost the wallet. Right, okay. So unless someone had picked the wallet up, then bought a lottery ticket, put it in the wallet, then lost that wallet. But also the wallet can be, from a lottery perspective, can be tied to the purchaser. Oh, of course. So that, of- that's very, yep. very damning evidence. And they actually, yep. in a record of interview, they, they realised that he was basically you know, setting himself up for failure. So interesting. The morning of the the final morning of the actual crime, there were three people involved, but we know that one of them decided on the morning to bounce to not to do just it. get out of there. Yeah, but apparently there was the most heated argument between the three of them. Now that gentleman that uh, that decided fortuitously and faithfully, yeah, to get out of it. He was granted immunity. He became a, a witness for the for the crown. Yep. And God, that'd would, be hard, wouldn't it? Being under that pressure, forming some sort of weird pact with your fellow desperate people who needed money with debts, and then having to turn against them. God. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's very interesting, listeners and Paul, because I find it so fascinating this story for lots of reasons, and that is that on that morning when Dr. Victor Chang was heading to work, he was actually going to work to perform a life-saving operation. They were already waiting. They had the, the patient. Everything was set up. The only thing that they needed... Was him. Was him. So the patient died, I I assume. don't know whether the patient died. I've oh, not geez. been able to glean that. Okay. But he was the surgeon that was going to do this incredible operation that morning. Imagine being in in theatre. Mm. Everyone's prepped. Everyone's yep. waiting. Yep. Also, as a person who's... I mean, if you're a family member of the person being operated on, you're like, finally, the one person who can save mm. our loved one is here. Mm. So are you saying that it's possible that two murders were committed that day? I don't think we can call... If someone passed away, that's definitely not a, mor- a murder, Paul, because you know... Well, you know how how you need the proofs, in a, in like the ingredients, and if you take one ingredient out of the uh, of, of the recipe, yep. For example, if it's a cake, you take <clears> one, <throat> one. If you like, if you take flour out, yeah, uh, or something really important. So no, you can't. It's definitely not murder. And look, I don't. It's a good question. Um, you know, it could be something by 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 manslaughter or I'm, I'm really not sure. I haven't given it a lot of thought. It's a great mm. question. Um, so I don't know what happened in that particular case. But 
we we know there was a witness there were actually quite a few witnesses but the witnesses that was across the road once they'd shot dr vic chang they the, the the gunman actually points the gun at the witness and the witness throws his hands up in the air and shouts back no 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 it's 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 not me I, I i've got nothing to do with this and then he ran okay but dr vic chang before he was shot shouted and screamed in desperation to this guy please help call the police dr victor chang knew that it was going to be fucked up he'd already because when he shouts out to a witness he explains to the witness to get the police they have a gun so he already knows that he's dealing with something really scary and after listening to some of the lead detectives the feeling is that dr victor chang he he put on such a, a fight with these offenders one of whom and we can say one of whom was armed but you know if you're in that situation you would probably think well if one's armed so is the other yeah but the thing is paul that dr victor chang knew that ultimately they wanted to also harm his family and that's why he dealt with this so passionately because this this argument with the offenders went on for some minutes until finally uh, he was shot shot dead there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we have a listener, Paul, who is a celebrity chef. And 
she wrote to me and I know that in a previous life she used to be a nurse and she was on a bus heading to Royal North Shore Hospital for a final nursing exam. She looked down the street to her left and saw Victor Chang dead in the gutter. While she is en route to Royal North Shore and she said to me that it's not that's not the reason that she decided to leave nursing but you know it's amazing how in life you can witness something so horrific and then it it potentially you know she ends up this person ends up being a really avid diehard fan of of loose units um, so she reached out last week, which I th- think was quite fascinating. Yeah. I mean, th- there is something that is kind of related to that that I wanted to you know, pick your brain on a little mm. bit. So you mentioned, you mentioned to me that you have a, a sort of a connection with somebody who was involved uh, this specific day because you were in, you know... Um, you obviously knew people, like you said before, you knew people who were in scientific at the time and you found that out whilst researching this, which is bizarre in and of itself because Electric Blue is set during that time at Chatswood Scientific. And mm. the fact that some of these people, you've seen photos of them in the press is mm. incredible. I mean, mm. that's just such a palpable link there. Mm. But you actually are associated with somebody who was there on the day. Is that correct? correct. That's right. So when this is happening... I was stationed, I mean, I'd, I'd left the, the police force and I ended up a professional firefighter and weirdly, I was stationed just up the road. In fact, if you follow the road where, like there's a, a, a very short side street in Cremorne, yeah. but if you were to sort of pull back onto that main road and just keep driving, you end up and I mean, if you stay on that road and do not deviate, you end up at Crow's Nest Fire Station, where I I was a firefighter. And you were and stationed that, there the day this happened? I was stationed there the day it happened. Okay. It's one of those incidents where all the emergency services get called except the fire brigade. The only reason the fire brigade would be called would be later and... This is going to sound rather depressing, listeners, and that would be to hose the blood off the off the road. I was going to say, so if if he was killed in a road accident or if it was a suicide, you would be called, without a right? doubt. Yeah. Okay. But it's not cool to leave a dead man or woman's blood, of which there would have been a lot of blood with a headshot, in the gutter. So, I mean, it seems logical. Uh, but of course, Crow's Nest would not have been called because there's an actual fire station in Neutral Bay, which is yes. minutes away. Yeah. So I mentioned the fire brigade because years later, I ended up working at Forestville Fire Station and there was a firefighter and we'll just call him Stephen because that happens to be his first name. Okay. <laughs> Paul? Let's call him Mr. S. That's too obvious. Stephen. Paul, his <clears throat> name's Stephen. I know. Well, now we all know. So, you make a terrible spy. 
please continue with this anonymous man's story. Okay, so he had a a wife, and because this is a like I was going to say public radio, which it's not, but feel, it feels like it sometimes. But some, yeah. it does feel like it. Um, so I'm not going to sort of delve into their into their private life too much. Suffice to say, their relationship was interesting. And she was a very highly qualified nursing sister. Really highly qualified. And we got chatting one day. And this is years after the incident. I don't know how it came up. But she told me that on that fateful morning that Dr. Victor Chang was shot, she was working as a nurse at a medical centre on Military Road, metres away from the shooting. Somehow or other, she got wind that something terrible had happened. She, as a fully qualified nursing sister, she runs to the scene where she performed CPR on Dr. Victor Chang. Holy shit. She was the first, let's say, highly qualified person at the scene. She performed CPR. Yeah, she was there at, 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 the, at the scene. Incredible, because she happened to be working. And now get ready for this, Paul. You know how I left um, the fire brigade and you remember I worked at the Sydney Opera House? Yes. In fact, we've done a whole season on it. Can you no, guess? Are you joking? Did my voice just go up? We haven't done a season about the Opera House. Oh, I didn't know that. How exciting. We, we could. Paul, uh, not a lot of people know this, but I'm just going to throw a few fun facts very briefly. Okay. Can you guess how many rooms there are in the Sydney Opera House? No. 1,100. That seems like a lot. Staggering. They have a hospital in the Sydney Opera House. Hang on. Dad, you should save this for, the, for whatever we do next. Cool. Well, Paul, it's just a teaser. But can you guess who worked at the Sydney Opera House at the same time I worked there and we became very good friends? No, who? Stephen's wife, the nurse, who performed CPR on Dr. Victor Chang. Okay. It's all coming together. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah, very... It's a small world, It's a it? small world. Now, Paul, as everyone also knows, all yeah. our millions of devotees... <laughs> yep, go on. Um, I have been and still... I still am running a, a an antique business, mm-hmm. which I'm passionate about. And... Okay, this is really super weird, Paul, and apologies for my little bit of brevity then, because it's... Obviously not the most, you know, sort of cheerful topic. But it's a funny world because many years ago, when I would have been in my sort of early to mid-30s, mm-hmm. which is around about maybe two or three years after this tragic event, I got a call to a house in Clontarf. And... Now, I didn't know this at the time, Paul, and I just can't even believe that I'm telling you this. It's so amazing. And that is that I got a call to a house in Clontarf to buy some antique furniture. And I remember I bought a beautiful gold brocade 
1940s two-seater over-the-top intricate just amazing little sofa and Paul and I just want you to try and wrap your little I was going to say little brain but your brain's actually pretty big thank you um that particular sofa we had in our home for, for and it's a long time when you consider how quickly we used to rotate all our antiques because you know things had come into the house and your kids had come home from school the next day and the entire house had changed which possibly may or may not have traumatized you kids but this particular lounge was really really nice it was very very expensive it was it was beautifully made and we had it in our in our lounge room now obviously you would not remember because we had so many lounges and at a certain point I would have got another lounge and sort of thought maybe we get a bigger lounge and I took that lounge to an auction house in Sydney called Raffin Kelleher and Thomas in Leichhardt and the then owner of the auction house Jim Kelleher we had a discussion and I remembered because when I bought the lounge someone or the owner of the lounge said oh this belonged to a Dr. Victor Chang and I just it didn't totally gel but then when I put the lounge into auction and I said to Jim Kelleher you know I just said oh not in a sort of an offhandish way but I just said oh and Jim you might be interested to know that this belonged to Dr. Victor Chang this lounge and he sort of he sort of his eyes lit up now this is a lounge that should have on the day got around about on a good day it would have got maybe five hundred dollars yeah but this particular lounge that fateful day and I remember Jim just was basically in shock and he came up to me after the sale and he said John you're not going to believe this but the lounge got seven thousand dollars this lady came in and she just she had a connection with Dr. Victor Chang. She didn't elaborate whether he'd worked, whether he'd operated on her or, or someone in the family, but she felt this was an opportunity to, to have something that had belonged to him mm-hmm. and as a result. But there was obviously fierce bidding because you just can't have one, one bidder. Yeah. And there were people that were literally going crazy. And that's... Uh, sort of an interesting part to this whole this saga it's odd how your it's odd how he has worked his way into so many different parts of your career just mm. be, i mean that's so it's so odd i know it's just it's bizarre you know um people go crazy mm. when they go to auctions if they can get something that belonged to someone that they were very fond of or someone very famous yes yeah. so, so a classic example is that one of our ex-prime ministers um, and I'm not going to mention his name because I, I just don't want to for lots of reasons. Uh, and some of those reasons are sort of, you know, things that I found out about this particular ex-prime minister through my time in the police force. Not a particularly pleasant person, but I will say this, that he had an auction when he passed away. Obviously, he didn't because he was dead, but the estate held an auction. And a good friend of mine, Andrew Shapiro, who runs Shapiro Auctioneers in Queen Street, Willara, he said to me, he said, oh, John, he was sort of debating on whether or not to do the sale. And I said, you have to do it because there'll be people out there that just will go insane just to have the most ridiculously sort of almost worthless trinket 
that had been on this ex-Prime Minister's desk. And sure enough, the sale went through the roof. And you see that with celebrity sales. The, the, the item completely loses its actual intrinsic value. It becomes almost like a holy relic. People go insane. It's just a Sotheby's Christie's and Bonhams internationally. For example, they did the Karl Lagerfeld, and I guess that's that's next level. But, you know, things that you couldn't give away from these famous people's houses are literally utterly worthless that should be in a, like an op shop, command sums because people feel as though they're getting a part of that person. But can I just pose a very odd kind of flip side to that? Yeah. So... Part of Victor Chang's legacy is that he, you know, he was a heart surgeon. He did heart transplants. He invented these incredible valves that we talked about, mm. uh, life-saving valves. There are people walking around today with objects associated with Victor Chang inside them, mm. and they don't have a monetary figure attached to them, but their worth is a continuing reminder of the impact he's had on the world. So whilst people might jostle and pay extra for a couch that he sat on, I think the real winners here are the people who have... Do you know what I'm saying? They have an an actual piece of his genius and his legacy Amazing. carrying them around and keeping them upright. I think, I think yeah. that's absolutely... And the fact that those aren't... And they, they're still making these valves, and the Institute is turning these things out. It is... A cliche, but I think it's fair to say that he will actually, in a way, live forever. I think that is, hmm. you know what I mean. And and I just sometimes think some people's impact on the world is is not measured by a memento they left behind that is then auctioned. I think it is yes. far deeper than that. Now, the kind of postscript to this, Dad, are the are the two men who did get convicted, right? Hmm. So. One of them was paroled back in, I think, 2012-ish. Mm. They both did a lot of time. People, there are going to be people out there that say, well, you know, define a lot. But, mm. Paul, this is so incredible. Did you know, Paul, you know that the last hanging was in Western Australia in uh, the 1960s? I believe so, yes. Okay, but here's something that I didn't know. Capital punishment mm -hmm. was abolished. In New South Wales, yeah, in 1995. That's unbelievable. That means up until 1995, not long ago, and the reason I mention this is that there's four years after Dr. Victor Chang was shot dead, it's feasible that these two men could well have been hung in New South Wales. And I did not know that we had capital punishment up until so late. Did you know that? I knew it was later than ideal. I knew it was kind of embarrassingly late, but I didn't realise it was that late. Mm. And of course, yeah. if these offenders had have committed this offence in Malaysia, yeah. where because one of the guys ended up in a notorious jail waiting extradition back to Australia to face trial for the murder of Dr. Victor Chang, but the jail that he was interred in in Kuala Lumpur is the same jail that two Australians, very, very famous trial back in the 1970s, mm -hmm. were both executed in that jail. Right. So, 
it 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 opens up a plethora of 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 sort of moral quandary insofar as you know we have rules in this country where we cannot extradite a person guilty of an offence if they if they're arrested in Australia but they've committed an offence in for example Saudi Arabia mm. we cannot and I believe that's the right thing extradite back to that country knowing that they will be executed yes so I, I don't have a problem with that um, but these two men they served their time interestingly one of them developed um, Alzheimer's that's right yes and the the state and it's very interesting of course and I find this very interesting in that the the penal institution the, the you know the board that decides parole they did not have a problem paroling these two men but then of course the politicians they then get involved as they always do and I, I, I think it's fair to say that there's votes in law and order you can score political points by taking strong stances on these things yes correct uh, absolutely which is what happened but the 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 you know the board that decides that he one of these guys had a non-parole period of i think it was either 18 or 20 years mm. he did that time okay so what happened was it was determined to allow him to go back to malaysia because if he, if he had have become more ill yeah at a certain Couldn't point they could not return him to malaysia Yep. Then, then you can say, well, then he would become a financial burden to the state of New South Wales. Gotcha. So there, are, there are lots of things that come, come into play, but it's interesting. So you basically have to, sometimes if you want to make a human rights, compassion-based argument to a very, very angry base, you need to boil it down to things like money, right? Mm, you yeah. need to make it a financial issue and then go, actually, it's just going to be really expensive mm, and it's not, mm. okay, okay. And I think one of the blunders in this particular sad tale yeah that happened in the latter stages when they were talking about parole and then ultimately sending them back to malaysia was that the chang family were not informed they should have been informed they found out about it probably through the media that's not cool because you need to also factor in the sensibility and the reaction and at least discuss these things with the family prior to going public. So that 100%. was a, a bit of a cock-up. Oh, my God. Well, Dad, can I just say I was absolutely blown away by the the level of insight and the kind of personal connections you had to this. I didn't realize that your connections to this case were so long-reaching because often you'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I was, I, I, I was there the day it happened or I was actually there when it happened. But to say years later, repeatedly, I kept having run-ins with people and objects entwined in the life and death of Victor Chang is absolutely incredible. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Well, I've really, really enjoyed this two-part look at um, the tragic death of Dr. Victor Chang. I think it's fair to say that his legacy will live on for a long time, and I think it's fair to say that he well and truly deserved all the accolades he received over the years. But if any of you have been personally affected by the gifts that Victor Chang has bestowed upon people, then please head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units. Here on The Shadow Files, this season, we are looking at 
iconic cases from Australia's history and the places they happened. We're trying to tie them to the locations. And Dad, I've spent years commuting and driving past, you know, I was going to university and mm. I've had friends in the area heading past that side street where he was gunned down. Mm. I, I know the area well. It is a completely unassuming area. And it's a further reminder that cities we live in and places we live in have these sites where these things have happened and knowing what happened there really does open the world up in a really strange way. Agree. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Don't forget to head back. If you're new to the show, don't forget to head back to the start and have a listen through. Very soon, Dad and I are going to compile a bit of a list of our favorite episodes. So we're going to basically give you a bit of a mixtape of episodes so you can go back and get a, you know, like a like a sampler of uh, what I would say are some of our greatest hits. Great idea. Oh, thanks, Dad. In the meantime, don't forget to hit us up on socials, and we will see you at the end of the week for an episode of Loose Ends, which will surely not disappoint because I've got a really weird idea for the episode, and I'm looking forward to it. Does it involve me being in the nude? Uh, absolutely not. I could be, though. You wouldn't know. No, that's true. Yeah. The, the perils of podcasting. <laughs> anyway, thanks, everyone. See you later in the week, and have a good one. Cheerio. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.